Thank you all for joining us this afternoon for an ICSC local talk on prospecting and expanding the deal pipeline during a pandemic. As we get started, just a couple of quick logistics. First, everybody's gonna be on mute during the panel discussion. If you have questions or comments, please feel free to enter them in the chat box, which our moderator will be monitoring. After today's talk, don't forget to take a quick look at the agenda for ICSC's Now and Next conference that starts next Tuesday and Wednesday, and also mark your calendars for Recon New York that will take place in December. It's a virtual deal making, which will be free for all ICSC members to attend. And now, to get started and introduce our panel, I'll turn everything over to Aaron Zucker, principal at Zucker Investment Group and a member of the ICSC North Carolina Next Gen Committee, will be our moderator. Aaron? Thank you, Adam, and thank you everybody at ICSC for adapting in these crazy times and allowing us the opportunity to continue to network virtually and learn from each other and continue to grow our businesses and our, and our personal intellect to the best of our ability. So thank you everyone at ICSC for your efforts. I am so time out of their day to join us. And I'm so excited about the panelists that are going to be joining me. Uh, there's certainly some, some rhyme or reason to that. Uh, we will work our way from west to east as we kind of divided the country up into thirds. Uh, we have Richard Brihau from uh, James Capital Advisors out on the west coast in LA. Uh, Richard is one of the top uh, single tenant and multi-tenant net lease investment sales brokers in the entire country. We have Scott Bitney with Location Commercial Real Estate. He's a principal at the organization uh, located in St. Louis. They do uh, retail leasing brokerage, both leasing and tenant representation work really throughout the Midwest. And then of course, uh, last but certainly not least, Beth Azor out of Davie, Florida, uh, the South Florida region. Beth is a shopping center owner, investor, uh, career mentor and coach, and uh, as I'm sure a lot of you already know, a major social media influencer in our organization. And we are so excited to have all three of you guys here, and I can't thank you guys enough for spending some time. Uh, all that said, we will jump right into it, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and throw Scott, who I'm more than happy to throw into the bus to get the party started, and sort of talk about how things have shifted for location and for you specifically uh, since things got a little bit crazy here in March and what adjustments have you made to sort of uh, get, get back into the regulation of things and, and get back into a, a position to where you feel confident and comfortable moving forward. Um, well, thanks for Aaron for letting me be on this panel. Um, you know, obviously this has been an interesting time for, um, a lot of people and, you know, kind of unprecedented times in this business. You know, I think initially um, we shut down our office back in March, but came back in May. Um, and I would say over the past 60 to 90 days, have we've gotten back out on the road um, and, and to see because of our territory is just outside of St. Louis. From overall perspective though, um, we really use that time that we were locked down to reach out to existing clients and new clients because there was a, we felt like people had a, a lot more time in their hands, were more willing to talk and uh, discuss, although future plans were unknown, you use that time to, to really build relationships. So I think we focused on building relationships, targeting specific tenants, 
uh, that, that we thought could be successful, and then also helping landlords that we worked with on deferrals, um, ideas on how to get creative on moving shopping centers forward in the right direction. Awesome. Appreciate that intel. Beth, you're known as the canvassing queen throughout the business, and you certainly have been very active in your and putting out your message and that people still need to continue prospecting despite everything that may be going on right now. Tell us what methods and tactics that you used before the pandemic that are still working in this environment that people should continue to hammer home in their prospecting efforts, specifically for landlord leasing agents or those who are trying to bring in new prospects in any way. All of them. So <laughs> all of them. I mean, uh, at least in South Florida, I can't speak to other parts of the country. Uh, like, you know, if I was in New York, New York City, it might not be working, but we have canvassed suburbia. We've canvassed uh, the CBD district. We Facebook prospect. We've Instagram prospected. And uh, I've never seen the activity higher than it is now. I apologize for the no noise. I'm at Disney and I tried to find a quiet place, but people are at Disney too. So um, we, uh, we, I held a challenge in August with um, I think 32 people signed up, 13 people finished the challenge and 11 finished half. What they did was uh, for every day of the month of August, they prospected. So on August 1st, they prospected one person and then on August 31st, 31 people. And at the end, uh, like I said, 13 finished and 11 did half. We, tar we hit 9,801 prospects. There were 189 LOIs and 39, 37 leases signed. So what we're doing when we're Facebooking and even when I'm going into businesses prospecting, I'm, I'm either Facebook prospecting and saying, Hi, um, we rep shopping centers. Are you expanding after this COVID craziness? So get the elephant out of the room, you know, get the elephant in the room out. Or when we're walking into spaces, we've been, we canvassed 65 people two weeks ago and only two or three people mentioned COVID. So I, now we might be in a anomaly in South Florida, but it's working down here. You know, and Beth, that, first of all, that's phenomenal data. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And that, that's a perfect pivot into my first question for Richard, who is nationally focused. So Richard, and, and obviously spends more time on the phone, I would say, than, than the average leasing broker would as an investment sales broker, uh, just given that he's got a national reach and has done deals. And it seems like every state, every blast I get from Richard comes from a different market all the time. And so Richard... Have you changed your prospecting at all? Obviously, I know you're on the phone all the time still, and that's you cold called me, which is how we met. But how do how have you changed your prospecting in the sense of being? Are you mindful at all of where people may be located geographically, or where their assets may be geographically, and as it relates to your prospecting? I don't think I've necessarily changed how I prospect. You know, it's pick up the phone. You know, send send some personalized emails. I think. One of the biggest things that we did, especially back in April, our marketing department did a great job at, at sending out personalized emails just with information about, you know, what are landlords doing? What are tenants doing? You know, what kind of rent relief uh, negotiations, what's working between tenants and landlords? And I thought that, that we got extremely positive feedback from that. Uh, just making sure that you're constantly keeping your pulse on the market, even more so than, you know, prior to the pandemic. 
because it's it's ever changing. You know, especially here in Los Angeles, we've been virtually on lockdown since March. So I think that you know, at the beginning, it was creating an environment for myself that I can remain productive because I've always been the type that's like to be in the office, you know, working in the office, interacting with our team, with our staff, and you know, for the first four or five months, I was working off my dining table. So it's now, now I've gotten to the point where I've, I've got a home office set up. I've, I try to mirror my, my office. I have multiple monitors, a stand up desk and things like that. And here we are opening our office next week. So um, it'll be good to get all, back in the office. All the work and then right when you get everything all set up and situated, it's time to go back on. Yeah, but it'll be, it'll be great to see everybody. I think that's um, been the, definitely the most challenging part was just figuring out how to, remain focused on the task at hand and not getting distracted, you know, with everything that's going on out there. But, but, but just, to, just as a follow-up question to that, are you finding that certain areas of the country where the sellers that you're targeting are, or the potential sellers and clients that you're trying to list properties with, are you finding that some are more receptive in certain markets or are you finding it's just business as usual? These, these guys or gals that own these, own these specific assets, wherever it may be, whether if it's Nevada or Florida or, or Texas or somewhere in between, they're agnostic, they're either sellers or they're not. Are you seeing anything different with your data with, with people in certain geographies being more willing to sell because they're, they might be a little bit more panicked because of their, their tenant lineup? Or are you seeing any of that? Or is it totally business as usual? I would, no, as opposed to geographically, I would say it's, it's by sector. So I would say that a conversation with a single tenant developer that's building 7-Elevens and Dollar Generals is different than somebody that's got 10 strip centers and, and trying to figure out, you know, how these different tenants are, are going to react. I mean, people have just shut down everything. A lot of um, different tenants out there just stopped, you know, put the brakes on everything. So I would say it's more, the difference is not necessarily geographically, but more by sector. Uh, you know, guys that are building quick service restaurants are maybe having a tougher time than somebody's out there that's really focused on building what's been deemed essential business, if that makes sense. Sure. Which is a perfect segue in what I wanted to talk to Scott about, actually, because Scott represents a plethora of different tenants across different categories, everybody from food and restaurant to big box retailers and, and medical users and everything in between. Scott, the narrative is that only certain uses are, are everybody's either thriving like the grocery stores and the convenience stores, or they're all completely dying like the apparel guys and, and the sit down restaurants. Is the narrative accurate? It, or is it as dramatic as everybody's as the as sometimes the media may make it out to be or are you finding that there's some certain users who uh, are kind of bucking the trend and aren't necessarily fitting into the boxes that everybody's trying to to, to put them in per se um listen I, I I I don't think that I think there are plenty of apparel players out there that are that are doing deals um I think it's being very selective and cautious. I think a lot of people are focused on relocations and repositions, which is uh, increasing activity. Net new stores, um, I think is a bigger question mark, but there's still activity. It's just a lot less. Um, I, I, and you're seeing guys who, uh, you know, were basically boxed out of a market before really taking a hard look on, how they can get in markets that they never could get before. Um, yeah, I think you've, you've seen that with the aggressive expansion plans that Lidl announced. Like 
they're really trying to get into the East Coast. And there's probably a ton of opportunity up there for them that wasn't there today. I think, I think retailers in general are being very targeted, uh, but the growth is there. Scott, you know, it's, I'm, I'm going to follow up with that. It's interesting that you led with there's apparel companies that are doing deals. And I think the vast majority of the people who have joined us today would not necessarily have thought that going into it. I know I admittedly would, you know, and you and I have talked a little bit about offline about that, but talk to me about, have you been able to, obviously you've picked up that information by osmosis of doing deals. Do you have any specific examples where you can share where you've either picked up a tenant representation account that most people wouldn't even have thought to go after during these times or how, how have you, and if so, how were you able to prospect and get them across the finish line uh, over the last 60 to 180 days or so? Um, so uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. So we did a reposition for a shoe carnival store. Um, I'm working on a net new city trends deal. Um, we're doing a lot of work with Buckle um, on repositions out of the mall. And uh, also Marista's, uh, they've also been pretty active on repositioning a couple stores. Great. It's exciting. It's exciting, really. What are you guys seeing? And Beth, we'll start with you because you've been tracking it. You, 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 you've been all over it ever since it started. It's, it's been, you've made it quite public and, and tracking and, and sharing data that you found based on your experiences down in South Florida. How long do you see this affecting retailers and panning out? I mean, do you see this things getting back to relatively normal in six months, 12 months, three months? What, what do you think? What, what, where's your head at with all this? Well, it freaked me out when I heard yes, a couple of days ago that Wall Street's not expecting to come back for seven months. Mm -hmm. So I work, you know, talked to a group that I talked to weekly and I said, how can this affect us in the Sun Belt, I think that there's some retailers in the Northeast, specifically restaurants, that won't be able to do outdoor dining, but have a valid restaurant business, and maybe the Sunbelt landlords and tenant reps need to help those very smart, experienced entrepreneurs find alternative locations. You know, I think that's a big factor. And if Wall Street's not coming back for seven months, that's crazy to me. Mm -hmm. I do think that Christmas sales and holiday sales are going to be pretty significant. I think people have not spent money on back to school, vacations, sleepaway camps, uh, they haven't celebrated. They haven't celebrated Easter, graduations, birthdays. So I think for all of us, Christmas sales are going to be big. And that's going to help the nationals. But the nationals are mostly public companies. And the liability of having them travel and come see our sites is problematic for us landlords. So. What I've been focusing on is trying to do regional, local, short-term deals because we're all waiting for those nationals. I'm happy to hear Scott say he's got so much activity. We're not seeing that in South Florida. We're seeing probably one to two out of every 10 leases being signed with nationals because they're not touring. 
But I also see drive-throughs in huge demand and prices going up significantly. Richard, same question for you. And I want to come back to, to Scott's activity in a second, but same question to you. I mean, you've obviously, you're obviously located on a different, might as well, literally is the different side of the country from the majority of the people who are joining us in the Carolinas. You know, given that you've been on pretty strict orders and lockdown in LA, when do you see things shaking back out and getting back to, I'll use the quotations again, as close to normal as possible? How, and, and how would your answer differ from Beth's, if at all? I think that, um, you know, initially, it's kind of a loaded question, right? Because I think initially, when this pandemic started, everyone, you know, really stopped right in their tracks. I mean, offices were closing, businesses were closing. I think here in LA, we've seen some businesses reopen it's, as it relates to what Beth was talking about with the restaurants. I think they've done a good job at opening some of the outdoor spaces, blocking off some of the streets so that those restaurants can operate. But the reality is, is that they're still operating at, I mean, 25% capacity. So I think for us in California, it's going to be quite some time before things return to normal. But as far as just in the net lease space, what I've been seeing with our activity, again, I'll just go back to it. It depends on what it is. Um, you know, we sell a lot of dollar generals. I've never seen demand for dollar general. Like I've seen, through this pandemic. Um, you know, I think anything that's been deemed essential business, the really overall theme that we've seen has been, it's been a flight to quality. So people want corporate credit. They want, uh, you know, assets that are going to, you know, make it through the next pandemic, restaurants with drive-throughs, things like that. So people are staying away from more of the franchisee model and, and really, gravitating towards corporate, you know, strong credit, um, long-term deals like that. Thank you. Scott, what's your reaction on, on timing moving forward to, to get things back to, to normal? And we'll start with that. I'd be curious to get your thoughts. I mean, listen, I, I think our business is kind of like a locomotive. We can pull the brake quickly, but it takes a long time to kind of regain momentum. Um, I, just with how our deal cycle is, I think we're 12 to 18 months to seeing some type of normalcy. We have retail openings that were supposed to be 2021 that have been pushed to 2022. Um, and I think the end of the year here is going to be very interesting. Uh, back to school was, uh, is for a lot of retailers, is their biggest holiday, even more so than Christmas. And I think, well, I, I agree with Beth. I think that I'm hoping for great things this Christmas. I think inventory management is going to be an interesting hurdle with a lot of these retailers because it's like, how much should I buy? I mean, even when I go to the stores now, you're like, there are a lot of barren shelves still. It's not, nobody's got that down to a science yet. And, and that could be one of the biggest challenges of the holidays. Mm -hmm. A quick housekeeping note, by the way, you guys are more than welcome to type messages uh, with questions or comments into the chat, and I'll make sure to go through those as we continue. How, how has your pitch changed? I mean, everybody on here is obviously interested in learning new ways or tactics to prospect. How, is, how have you guys' respective pitches changed? Uh, we'll start, I don't know, we'll start with Richard. We'll go west to east on this one. Yeah, I think 
I wouldn't say that my, my pitch has necessarily changed. I think what we're talking about when, when we're catching up with clients has certainly changed. Um, but as far as our pitch, uh, I think that we're fortunate to have a very cloud-based system and CRM um, at our firm. And so, you know, in, in most cases, as far as prospecting goes, it's, it has been business as usual. We've been able to, to work from home. And so I think that's something that we've highlighted in a lot of our pitches is that, you know, we have the ability to, to keep the ball rolling um, and not have any real delay in, in our overall business and, and trans, transactionally. And so I just think it's the, the topic of conversations. I, I feel like it's, it's getting a little better now, but it was, it was doomsday. I mean, come three, four or five months ago. Um, but I think there's more of a positive tone and uh, to these conversations now. And, and I think at least for the, on the development side, they're starting to hear back you know, from different retailers, guys are getting stuff going again. Um, whereas it was a lot of the strip center developers that I have relationships with. I mean, they were just, everybody could put the brakes on back in, you know, April, May, June to try and figure out what they were going to do. Scott. Um, you know, I was always a big fan of pitching in person. So that's been a very difficult uh, transition for me. I mean, we've really, I really try to focus on upping my game on my marketing materials and really doing a, uh, basically getting into more detail on how I would plan out markets um, and, you know, showing them basically here's how I would do it if I were you. Um, and rather than doing that in person and just doing it through additional better marketing materials, uh, YouTube videos on drives, drone videos, just kind of pulling out all the stops, just be more creative and separate yourself from other people. Wow, that's fantastic advice. You know, a standard presentation, like, hey, here's our, you know, Kansas City, Missouri book. It's like, right. hey, here's your plan. Scott, that's that's incredible advice. And is and when you said uh, step your game up, and you and you did a good job of of following up on that a little bit, but. Is there, was there, is there any adjustments because of COVID with your marketing materials that you've made, or you just want to make them better than ever? Is it adding in that small shop retailer on your aerial that maybe wasn't there before? I mean, can you be a little bit more specific on what you meant by stepping your game up on your marketing materials? Because I think one thing's for certain, everybody's pushing, everybody's going to be pushing to do more deals as soon as possible to pick back up on their production. And and, and we all know, and, and Beth's an expert on this topic, is, is you got to have the best package possible, no matter what it is that you're pitching in this business, whether if it's an offering memorandum from Richard or a leasing fire from Beth or, or a tour book from yourself. I mean, I think there's so many things that are starting to come out beyond just like a great looking aerial. Like we do a ton of work with Placer AI and we've really like gravitated to that. That can really tell a story um, it, it's not like perfect and absolute, but it can definitely show somebody who's not from the market, like that, that you're not just spinning a line. Like this is real data that shows that this is the number one target by visits, not necessarily volume, but by visits. So just being creative and thinking of other ways to put yourselves in their shoes and say, Hey, why should I, why should I pick St. Louis or why should I pick, you know, Chicago as my next spot? You're going to have to do a better job of, of telling them why. And frankly, 
the other thing too is you know the players who are you should know the players who are expanding and basically you also know the players are exiting right now and if anything out there there's opportunity you know there's a lot of sit-down restaurants and a lot of you know uh restaurants going by the wayside chipotle super active you know hit on the ones that are active and be like i have an opportunity for you do more targeted rather than you know shoot with a sniper rifle not a shotgun beth what would you add to that how has your pitch changed absolutely i've been using geofencing and ai placer and i've been showing traffic pre-covid post-covid um I'm at 85% with a lot of my restaurants and their occupancy is only 50. So there's a lot telling that story. I'm also using sales more than ever. Um, I'm getting sales more than ever because if I did a waiver or a deferral deal, I got sales from people that I didn't before. I'm also targeting different places. So I just signed a lease on Friday with a development deal that is dead. So I'm looking at where were their tenants with signed leases on site plans and are those site plans and those developments not going forward? Uh, the same with malls. Uh, you know, if you have malls in your markets that are still closed, those tenants don't have a location for holidays or maybe a long time. So focusing on targeting those tenants that need locations. Um, and then what Scott said, looking for the ones that are successful. Home improvements, I've done three deals with home improvement users. Uh, I think I'm gonna do a visit, uh, lease with uh, gym equipment for home gyms when I get back. So focusing on businesses that are healthy and doing well, and COVID's not coming into the conversation. Sounds like you certainly are adopting the same approach as Scott, rather than just casting a wide net, going in with a more targeted approach. And, and Richard's even doing so as well, too. I mean, he's, he's making, he's articulated that you're going after the dollar stores and convenience stores. What other uses are you seeing out there, Richard, right now, where there's a lot of buyers still flocking to that product? So that way, even if I'm a tenant rep broker in, you know, South Carolina, I, I, you know, what insight can you give to where those users are, are still active and trading appropriately well, maybe for sale leasebacks or what have you? What, what, what other uses can you think of that aren't necessarily, that haven't been discussed yet today that are pretty active for the people out there to prospect? Yeah, I, I think single tenant industrial, um, you know, ABC Supply, SRS, I think companies like that are going to be extremely well positioned going forward, especially as, you know, tenants in the future move, you know, away from the brick and mortar. Um, I think, you know, single tenant industrial, you know, essentially it's almost the same as net lease in, in a lot of cases. And so I think that that was a, a real focus that we've placed um, since the, since the pandemic started was going after, you know, a, a different sector of net lease per se. Um, but yeah, I would say the, the dollar stores, convenience, um, gross ranker. I mean, again, all, everything that's been labeled as essential business has been really what investors have been asking for. 1031 exchange buyers have been, been interested in. 
Scott, what, you know, Beth, Beth, are you advising clients to do shorter term deals right now because they kind of want to, they, they should sort of see how things shake out because Beth's certainly had an appetite. It sounds like Beth is a landlord, uh, landlord and a shopping center owner is leaning towards more doing shorter term deals. So that way when things pick back up again, it might be an opportunity for her to grow, to grow NOI. I'm thinking out loud as I ask the question, but as a tenant representation broker, are you advising clients to dial back lease term to just sort of be able to reevaluate things and not commit to as much liability on the books? Or are you saying, hey, look, there's a correction in the marketplace right now. We might be able to get a more attractive deal. Let's go ahead and lock it in for as long, long as possible. How, how are you navigating those waters? Um, I, I think I'm seeing a little bit of both. I mean, I, I, I definitely am seeing people kind of the, uh, take the approach of dip their toe in the water, doing one-year deals, as-is deals, and just, you know, trying it out. Um, but from some of the larger tenants, more sophisticated tenants, they realize that they can get a deal right now, especially if they're flush with cash. Um, uh, you know, you're definitely seeing both private and institutional owners being very careful <laughs> on TI dollars. So... Um, it really just depends on who the tenant is um, and, and kind of where they fit in financially and uh, kind of their size as well. Networking is a critical part to prospecting. And obviously networking has changed. I don't think that's, I don't think that's getting by anybody. What have you guys done I mean, everybody's been on a thousand Zoom calls, inclusive or, or whatever platform it is, calls that catch up calls. But what have, what have you guys done differently to network in this environment that other people may or may not be doing and to kind of help themselves stand apart so they can in turn indirectly prospect and help improve their pipelines? I'll let whoever go first. It's a, it's a, that's a free for all one. I think we held it as a, instead of ICSC, you know, the, the Vegas convention, we held a, a virtual ICSC where our clients could set times um, to have personalized meetings with us. Again, that's uh, falls into the category of the zoom, but just getting creative and, and replacing again, live events, because, you know, that's where you and I met Aaron was just at some of these ICSC conferences, which obviously they're, you know, they're virtual now, but I think, you know, setting up times with clients and, and making it seem like, you know, having a virtual meeting room and, and making it seem like, you know, you're, you're at the conference, um, I think was one of the things that we did. But um, yeah, I mean, that's really like all I can think of. Beth, how have you networked differently since it all started? I know you've been, I know you've been active with, uh, with some alternative platforms. What, if you could please enlighten us on some of those and, and how those have been successful for you. I think, the, I think the attendees would really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone that's trying anything different and new, this is so crazy and for lack of a better word, unprecedented, uh, I'm jumping on and learning, whether it's ICSE or Shop Talk or Retail Live, whatever it is, because I think our business and our industry needs it. So I applaud everyone who's trying everything different and new. I've been on 
mixology, happy hours. I've been on virtual game nights. Anything that you can look across the computer screen and see someone and meet someone, it's a good thing because this is awful. And I, I for one, cannot wait till we get back into person-to-person -person networking. Scott, how is your networking changed and what have you what tactics have you been using because for those who, who don't know Scott he is a, an incredible networker and there's his he's got a personal touch with with people and, and is well known throughout the industry and I, I know it's something you've probably done a great job at navigating despite being thrown the same curveballs everybody else um I, I think with uh kind of right when this started um we collectively got together as a company and and said Let, let's reach out to people that we let's make a conscientious effort to reach out to three people a day that we don't typically talk to. Um, that rule really helped us to basically uh, build on our existing relationships and then also um, talk with people that we haven't talked to in a while and get what's working with them, what's not working with them. Um, hey, who's expanding? What are you seeing with uh, existing tenants and landlords doing um, and that kind of really snowballed into a great effect uh, and really was successful for us. That's great. You know there's obviously a difference between direct prospecting and marketing. Prospecting being I have a vacancy I would like to lease it. I have a property that I would like to list of yours I'd like to sell it or I would like to represent you as you roll out your fleet of stores in the St. Louis market or wherever it may be. Then there's marketing, which is just getting yourself out there and doing stuff like this. And, and we can't, and I speak on behalf of everybody again, where we appreciate you guys taking the time to join us. Talk, have you guys changed your marketing uh, specifically on social media? Have you done more of it, less of it, and gone with a more personalized approach? Uh, we'll start with, with Richard and then we'll jump over to Scott and then finish up that question with that. Um, I would say that as far as our marketing, again, it was the way that we changed in the beginning was just being a lot more information, giving out a lot more information as far as what's going on out there, what we're seeing in the market, rather than just blasting out our properties. It's, you know, have you guys um, seen the latest trend or the latest, you know, closure with this tenant or um, I think just being more informational rather than transactional was what helped us in the beginning. And so with Mike's, with Mike's newsletters. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Not another COVID newsletter, but you know, it's, it's just keeping your, your pulse on the market. And I think the, the one thing that people appreciated was just giving insight because every landlord wanted to know, Hey, my tenant called and said they wanted a, a rent reduction or a deferral. What should I do? Just presenting different strategies that we had heard from other clients and, and passing that information along. Um, helped out, I think, a lot. Scott? Um, I mean, I, I think Richard brings up some good points. We, we conducted a couple calls uh, with our landlord clients on, from a national level of uh, seeing what's working and what's not working. Um, I would say uh, we made a conscious effort uh, from the company side to really up the social media and have a bigger presence. Um, personally, I, uh, haven't done a great job of my own, uh, social networking, uh, because a lot of what I kind of posted on the past was 
experiences that I've seen it with uh, either retail concepts or shopping centers and obviously with the less travel that uh, hasn't been as, uh, as relevant. And I guess somebody who might be able to speak a little bit to social media and marketing in general, we'll, we'll let the, the pseudo drum roll come in for Beth to, to, to opine. Nice. Uh, we did, I think, 17 webinars in the first 45 days. And I thought that connection and education was going to be the key. Let's keep getting everyone informed. Uh, we did a two and a half hour CRM webinar where I think nine people, uh, users, not the CRM companies, talked about what's their favorite CRM and why do they use it and what are the tips. And I remember I tried to put that together before COVID and getting nine people and their schedules together was impossible. And I thought at about April 10th, I think this will be easier to do now. And we had, we've had hundreds and hundreds of people watch that. So education, connection. Um, I took a line from your book, Aaron Sucker, and we posted, and a lot of people I know, I think you posted this on LinkedIn, where you went to your neighborhood Facebook page and said, hey, Weston, what is your favorite Mexican restaurant that you would like to see in our market? and then hundreds and hundreds of ideas and leads come rolling in from the consumer and then using those leads to prospect, whether it's in person or on Facebook. And that I think is a marketing uh, method. So with the marketing, the marketing strategies, I, you know, we, I think everybody wants to know. I know James Capital put out informational newsletters. I know Location, you guys have get, done a good job of, of, of stepping up. I'll, I'll use the word stepping up, but I guess just being more frequent in your social media stuff because I actually loved what you guys were doing beforehand, and I'm glad that you guys are doing more of it. Uh, and then Beth, obviously, being the, 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 uh, the, the force that she is on social media. Have you guys seen results as a result? Aaron, you muted yourself. I think we may be having some internet problems with Aaron there. Hopefully he comes back soon. Does anybody have any insights on the first half of this question? Well, Can you guys for hear me sure, now? social media, I've okay. seen huge results. There's, I've gotten clients, I've gotten students, I've gotten tenants, I've gotten local tenants, I've gotten national tenants. I wouldn't be doing social media if I didn't have unbelievable results. Scott and Richard, have you guys seen, by the way, you guys can hear me. Yes. Nod. Is that better? Thank you. Sorry. Appreciate you guys uh, with your patience. Scott and Richard, have you guys seen business pick up either directly or indirectly as a result of being more active in social media for location or through some of the informational content that you guys have put out there at James Capital? Yes, I have. I think that our, our marketing department's done a phenomenal job at just consistently putting out uh, different, you know, different things as far as closings, listings, information, 
so yeah, I've, I've had a couple listings that have come up through, you know, different closing social media blasts or, um, you know, even the information that we shared in the beginning led to conversations with people that, you know, maybe I've been cold calling for a couple of years that I'd never actually gotten a hold of that responded to some of the information that we put out in, in the very beginning about, you know, how different landlords are reacting to, to different deferrals and, and different, um, red reliefs that they've been receiving from their tenants. So yeah, I've, I've absolutely seen results from it. Have you found people to be more visible, Richard? And, and visible is a terrible word because we're doing everything virtually, but have you found it that the developers and the investors who were always super busy and couldn't get back to you, have you found that you've been able to get people on the phone at times a little bit easier ways, especially at the beginning of COVID when everybody was like, Oh boy. Cause I know for me, I had I, I had I, I, I had some success getting people on the phone that, you know, just got less busy. I mean, they were able to respond yeah. and get back to me faster. Did, did you find that as well? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, people just want to talk and interact with other people when they're just at home all day. I mean, it's especially in the beginning. I know for us, it's, you know, and here in L.A., we're, we're still kind of on lockdown. But I think across the country, you know, in April, when everyone was just stuck at home, I mean, they, they wanted to, to talk to other human beings and, and not just their dog or their, their spouse or their kids. So I think that, um, yeah, for, for sure. What, that, that within itself certainly creates an opportunity. And that's why people really, it sounds like, should be hitting the gas pedal on prospecting even more. I mean, Scott, would you, would you echo that same testament that Richard had? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. I mean, I would say there's a little bit of a hurdle because if you don't have the person's cell phone number, it's hard to track somebody down. But there's other interesting ways that you can use through other connections. But I've also found like the the workday has expanded. People are willing to talk to you after hours where it was like there's other times it's like I've shut it off. Like I love calling people late and I love calling people early. You know that. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. I do know that. Beth, would you echo that as well? Not and, and if the answer is yes, that's totally okay because I think it's important to put an emphasis on some of the bigger takeaways. We're getting a, we're getting the thumbs up from Mickey Mouse ears. Perfect. Perfect. So the next question I have is obviously there's there's how important was it and how important is it still to be sensitive of this thing? Meaning you're in the middle of a deal and you know, whether it could be something as, as non-macro, as micro as this person is a working mother or father at home with three kids and I need to be conscientious of the fact that it's taking longer for them to get back to me because they're juggling a job and they're juggling a family at home all the way to they work, this person represents or works for or runs an organization that has been, you know, damaged, let's say. For maybe maybe it's a you know a landlord in Los Angeles with a bunch of service-based retailers whose stores are closed. I mean, how are you guys playing that level of you have a fiduciary duty of trying to get a deal done, but you also need to be sensitive to people's times and and how are you managing those waters, navigating those waters as it relates to prospecting? Let's start with Scott for this one, just to keep changing changing things up and throwing you guys on your toes. You know, I, I think it's from the respect of, of understanding that people have kids that they're teaching at home and stuff like that, you, you know, I think there's 
longer gone are the days where it's like there's background noise that's just kind of assumed that it's going to happen. I think there's sensitivity there. I, I think every, for the most part, uh, I would say there's a sympathetic side to understanding people who are going through challenges uh, on with restaurateurs struggling and people, small business owners. I know Beth, you know, has a ton of local owners and, and that's, you know, stressful. That, that's, that's their livelihood. That's their baby. They've worked so hard for on the national side. I think that you have to be, um, you have to be sensitive, but you also have to apply pressure because, you know, the squeaky wheels is, is going to get the grease right now. And I think there's, one wrong turn could kill that deal in two moments and you don't want to be too soft. So you want to apply pressure, but be cognizant of how you're applying that pressure. Got it. Richard, how are you handling that, that dynamic? I think that's a great point that Scott made was, was applying pressure. I think that um, at least for us on the transaction side, things are taking a little bit longer, especially if there's a financing involved, you know, third party reports, but they're not taking that much longer. You know, we, we've done enough transactions through throughout the pandemic to know that, you know, the third party reports, you, you should still be able to get them back, you know, in, in 21 to 25 days, you don't need 45 days. So I think some, some groups out there trying to take advantage of the times um, on the buyer side by trying to get a little bit more time to get things done. Um, so I think as long as you're cognizant of how long it really does take um, being able to apply that pressure, but, also, I think the first part of the question was, how has it changed with our prospecting? And I think at this point, a lot of people are just kind of sick of talking about it <laughs> oftentimes. So I think just trying to keep more of a business as usual and trying to talk about the task at hand instead of saying, hey, how are you hanging in there? Like, hope everything's good. And I think people are, are kind of sick of talking about it at this point. So. Mm -hmm. Beth, I think you're, I'm going to mess this term up that you use. What is it? Pleasant persistence. What, what's the term that you use again? Respectful persistence. Respectful persistence. I know you do that pre and post COVID, but talk to me, talk to the to all of us about how you're you're handling that dynamic of of trying to get a deal done and doing what's best for your asset or your client, but also being respectful uh, as you so with often. the locals and the regionals. I'm focusing on uses that I think are successful, and I think are fine. Hair salons are not fine. So I'm not talking to them. They're, they're the victims in this. I've already lost two. So, but boutique gyms, like I said, bike stores, um, home gym equipment, home office equipment. Uh, I did a billiards pinball any home improvement ca category, the ones that you think might be doing well, the ones that are advertising in the community magazines still at $800 an ad, those are the ones I'm reaching out to and I'm putting the elephant in the room out right up front. You know, are you still expanding or will you be expanding post this COVID craziness? And most of them say, yes, where are your shopping centers? With the nationals, um, those are the deals that are taking longer. The ones that we had teed up before COVID and then the real estate team got furloughed. 
you know, I'm more sensitive with those real estate managers reaching out and to the brokers, hey, is that real estate team back on yet? And then if they are, now they've got a backlog, but I'm being more than respectfully persistent with the nationals because we would like the credit. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm working on three national deals on those 11 LOIs, but eight are locals and regionals. So I just think putting it out there. And like, I think Richard's right. A lot of people are tired of talking about it. Let's move on. I think, I think we all agree on that for sure. I was, I was going to wait for questions to the end, but Eric Penny uh, had impeccable timing with his question. Uh, Eric's with ESP Commercial out of Atlanta and, and asked right as Beth was talking about it, it's almost like he knew it was coming. How are, how are you guys, and we'll start with you, Beth, how are you guys figuring out ways to make deals go faster if that's even possible in this environment? Because our business has a historically slow, historically has had a slow deal cycle as it is. What, is there any newly introduced ideas or methods that you guys are, are using to get deals done faster through, you know, I know, I know Beth, you had some success with your rent relief negotiations as far as putting on deadlines to, to get tenants to either, you know, pay or, or accept a, an alternative form of their lease. But in, in general, is there anything that you guys are, are, are using tactics that you guys are using to help create a sense of urgency? And that can be with anybody that can be with a third party vendor in Richard's case to get out to the site. So that way the due diligence time gets, Held, uh, doesn't get held up or, or for Scott to, to kind of motivate a tenant that is still in a competitive space, like high impact out parcels. And, and what, what's new that you guys have been able to kind of use to help get de- deals done faster because while well, prospecting is the, is the way that we get there, we're all doing it to get deals done. Well, there's this new thing. It's called follow-up. And I would tell you that when I see national retailers at ICSE conferences, the number one thing they ask me is, could you please teach better follow-up? And they say it again and again and again. So I think keeping up with your CRM and staying on top of the deal and following up and at the end of the call, asking the broker or the real estate manager, when will I hear from you? When do you think I'll get on the real estate committee or when will construction come to or the space and try to narrow down the response time. And when they say, you know, I'll, you're going to be on real estate committee two Mondays from now, six o'clock that Monday night, I'm calling the broker at the risk of looking too anxious and saying, Hey, how, how do we do in real estate committee today? Oh, well you got delayed and you're going to be on the next one and staying on top of it. I think follow-up is crucial and not winging it, being organized and keeping the notes. But, I, but Eric also said something about cities I'd like to throw in. I have a site, a development site that gas wasn't allowed. And before I bought the site, another developer tried to put it under contract and tried to get a gas um, rezoned and he failed. I bought the center, I bought the office building, knocked it down and built the strip center and was planning on building a phase two. And I reached out to my land use council in May and said, what do you think about us going for this gas again? 
in the middle of COVID because I keep reading about municipalities being in millions of dollars of debt with, our, with tax revenues going down. And he said, before COVID, I would have said zero. During COVID, I'll give you 60%. We got it. We're in for site plan approval. So everyone should take a look at that. I recently heard, I think in Wichita, a client of mine had a submarket where drive-throughs weren't allowed and they circled back around and they're getting a drive-through. So I think municipalities might be open to some new ideas. So don't say no for the prospect and go try it again. Great plug for your book. Great plug for your book. This is, this isn't as Connie asked about the, are you guys seeing a lot of new COVID language being introduced? I know some of the national tenants have certainly rolled it out in their deals in an attempt to, to protect themselves and maybe some would maybe argue to have a more advantageous lease language in general. Um, have you guys seen that at the local and regional level with on the leasing side? And Richard, are you seeing a lot of that getting incorporated into purchase and sale agreements? Let's start with Scott on the leasing side, and then we'll jump over to Richard to see what you're seeing on the on the PSA side. Um, I would say it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, I mean, we have uh, a decent amount of landlord clients, so we're seeing on the landlord side of, of deals as well. And we're seeing a lot of landlords take a hard line and say, I'm, I'm not agreeing to any COVID language. We are seeing a lot of our national retailer clients, depending on kind of who they are, really push for it. Um, it's mainly been about deferral uh, rather than abatement. Um, so I, I think it's kind of been a mixed bag. I think we're seeing a lot of local tenants ask for it, but not a lot of landlords willing to give it to locals. It's more of uh, negotiating with nationals uh, where they have a higher point of leverage. Richard, what do you see on the purchase and sale agreement side? I, I can't say that I've seen a lot of COVID specific language, but I think in going back to Eric's original question, I, I've seen a lot of sellers um, placing language into the PSAs more than ever about, you know, providing proof of loan app and five to seven days, providing receipt of order of third parties, you know, in, in 10 to 14 days. I think making sure that you're applying the pressure and keeping people on schedule, uh, like Beth said, and, and being proactive if your, your due diligence expiration is coming up, you know, next Friday and it's, you know, it's Tuesday the week before. I mean, give them a call. Don't wait till Wednesday of the following week to check in. Um, so just making sure more than ever that you're communicating with buyer's agent, with lender, with, you know, whoever, all of the parties within the transaction, it's, it's more important than ever because delays are happening and, and delays are a lot easier to manage when you get out ahead of them. And it's not the 12th hour and, and you're trying to get an extension on, you know, a, a purchase sale agreement, you know, with the day before that the financing contingency is up. So I, I think just being proactive like that is, has been really key for helping us continue to get transactions done. I, I, when I was back, back when I was running a, a small leasing team before going out on my own, I used the ratio with the leasing agents that we had in house that we wanted eight, uh, eight visits of a space to get to four LOIs, to get to two leases out, to get one deal done. I would say, and so that I always use that eight, four, two, one ratio. 
have you guys, in, in, in an attempt to hit your goals, how have you guys shifted your starting from the end or your reverse engineering thinking, knowing that things are just a little bit tougher in this environment? Is there any specific concrete examples that you can think of? I know, Beth, you did the, the thousands and thousands of, of prospects in your, in your canvassing club from August. I mean, what other, what other thoughts or ideas do you have in an order in an attempt for people to get deals done? Cause that's really what we're all here for. Um, that's what, that's what the prospecting is, is ultimately trying to lead to. Well, I, I think prospecting any way you can do it. Um, we canvassed for the first time in June and I was worried. And I think Chloe and I, my intern, we did like 10 people the first day and I, we were very hesitant, but people were happy to see us. Um, South Florida opened May 18th. And I think we went out the second or third week in June. Um, su sus what is the word? Sus subsequently? Subsequently. After, after that, my brain is fried. I'm at Disney. <laughs> and, um, it's, we did 65 in one day. And I think three of the 65 people, there was an issue. We even went into a bridal salon and I thought this was the last one. And you know what they always say, like, don't say no. So I said, oh, bridal, they probably had a very tough time. I said, oh, let's go anyway. And we walk in and the woman said, I said, I know it's COVID and I can't imagine how many weddings have been canceled, but after this craziness, will you be expanding? And she said, well, where are your properties? And I said, well, and I showed her my flyer and she said, oh, Sawgrass. I was looking in Sawgrass before COVID. She said, actually, brides are buying two dresses. They're buying one now for small ceremonies and one and their regular bridal dress for the big thing. So our business is actually very busy. So who knew, unless you go out and talk, you won't know. So that was a nice surprise and we're keeping in touch with her, but she's definitely not ready yet. So, you know, the, the other thing the canvassing calendar club challenge did is it built an unbelievable pipeline. So the fact there's a parade going on behind me, can you hear? Anyway, do the canvassing club challenge. Perfect timing for a parade, naturally. Per perfect timing for a parade and for my video to go out. The, the, the beauty of, of Zoom virtual. So I, as, as we begin to start wrapping up here, I, I, I have a challenge to, to the panelists. And one thing that I would really be interested to hear about is, and one thing we all agree on, is that this is not going away tomorrow. I think we all agree on that. So knowing what you know now, and we didn't, and nobody knew how long it would last going into it, but it's been six months at this point, and there's no immediate reason to believe that it's going to stop tomorrow. So knowing what you know now, what would you go back and change, and and what and, and do differently over the past six months that you plan to incorporate over the next month or six days or six weeks or hopefully not, but six years with with, with things being the way they are. And we will we will make Scott we will make Scott that first on this one. Go ahead, Scott. 
Oh, Richard wanted to talk. He, it was perfect. I was going to say, I wouldn't adopt a, adopt a, a puppy if uh, <laughs> I knew that a, a government mandated shutdown was coming in a month. Um, <laughs> but no, I think that one of the original points I made was just creating an environment at home that you know you can work for and you can mirror and you can stay motivated in and, and for me that was just duplicating what i had at the office you know not just working off a laptop but getting you know getting my three monitors set up that i that i for whatever reason i just need to see um you know getting a stand-up desk i think creating an environment that you never know when you know a government mandated shutdown could happen again that you still have an environment that you're not going to lose focus in or um, that it won't allow you to, to continue to stay motivated in. For me, that was that would be the biggest thing. Scott, now I'm going to let you. Now I'm going <laughs> to let you come in. Well, Richard, actually, before we go to Scott, I, I had a thought that just popped into my head. And Richard, I, one theme that I've taken away from your thoughts today is, is it seems like you've really been focused on trying to operate like business as usual. I mean, you keep up. You kept consistent with your prospecting. You kept consistent with your methods. And you even are trying to, you've, it seems like you've finally mastered, of course, as you go back into the office next week, trying to stay consistent with your work environment. Have you felt that, do you feel like that, that sense of routine and attacking your days in the most normal ways as possible has been what's sort of both kept you sane and successful throughout this, this, this situation? Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's, it's so easy for myself, I don't know about other people out there, but it's so easy for me to get distracted here at home, especially again with a puppy. Um, but like for me, for the prospecting side, it was blocking out, you know, two hours a day or how, whatever it is um, that you need in order to be successful and, and be able to still deal manage, but just two hours a day dedicated to prospecting, you know, shut the email down, um, you know, just do whatever you got to do to stay focused for two hours, even if that's you know, even if it's usually four hours when you're in the office or whatever it may be, I mean, just committing to something um, where that is, no matter what, all I'm doing, all I'm, you know, thinking about is, is prospecting and, and making that next call, checking in with that next client. Um, but absolutely, a routine was, has been critical for me. Got it. And Beth is, Beth is a big fan of time blocking as well. Um, but I, I, I was going to, I don't want to let Scott get off the hook. Scott, um, Knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently during COVID and what do you plan to, and what changes do you plan to implement, if any, with the way that you attack uh, the environment that we're in for the foreseeable future? You know, I, I think Richard actually brings up a good point of uh, uh, time management is everything. So making sure that the time that you have allocated to certain tasks, you're, you're really maximizing it so that you're, you're best and, and biggest potential um, and then also it's also taught me how to market our company uh, and our brokers without a face-to-face -face interaction and just try to get better from that perspective to get out in front of people um, like I said we, we were in person sellers and I think there's a lot of us out there that are that way um, but you have to realize that they're they're could be a time either now or in the future where you won't have that luxury. That's great insight. Now, one thing before we go to Beth's answer, I would just one, one last time encourage anybody who has any questions for, for, for us and our panelists specifically, go ahead and type those into the chat while uh, if they come up. But we do certainly want to hear from Beth 
on this topic because Beth is never shy to, to what I love about Beth is she's never shy to, to admit when she's made mistakes or when she would change things because she's a, a self-described self-improvement junkie. So Beth, what would you do differently knowing what you know now, uh, seeing how things have transpired over this next six months and if this were to go on another six months, how would you change your approach, if at all? Well, agree with Richard. I still am working in three different places in my house. <laughs> and I'm back to the office, but there's many days where I'm working from home. So I do have a plan, Richard, by year end to take the old playroom that my teenage boys are not in anymore and make that an office. But um, I started something early on in the pandemic out of necessity for my tenants, I Instagram live videoed them because I was trying to keep them uplifted and positive. And we, I was posting it on social media, posting it on YouTube. And it started with my tenants and then it worked its way to prospects. And after I did 13 of them, I signed a lease. And now that we've been getting busier and back out. I'm not doing as many of those interviews. I'm, I think I've done about 23. And I have a lot of people around the country doing the interviews and it takes prospecting to the next level. So the, again, this is for locals and regionals. They love it. It helps with your social media. It helps their social media. And I got a deal out of it after the 13th interview. I want to continue to do more of that. That, that. that was worth your time within itself. Congratulations on that deal. So we've left a little bit of time for questions, although it sounds like I, I clearly didn't do a great job as a moderator since we don't have a huge peppering of, of questions coming in. That or you guys dropped incredible knowledge. My hunch is that it's probably a combination of both if I had to guess. So uh, I want to thank uh, Scott, Beth, and Richard very much so, so for you guys' input and time and then also thank Allison O'Loughlin and, and Kevin Finale who are the co-chairs of ICSC Next Generation for the Carolinas as well as Adam with ICSC. Obviously this event does not happen without the hard work of those people and just as importantly I want to thank everybody for taking the time for joining us today and if anybody has any questions for the panelists I happen to know them all well enough personally Happy to, to, to answer your questions if you want to reach out to them individually. And if for whatever reason you don't feel comfortable doing so or are unable to find them, uh, I am happy to connect you with them as well. I can be reached at Aaron at bookerid.com. So thank you everybody for doing for joining. And usually this is the time where everybody gets up and leaves the room. So I guess uh, we, Adam, unless if you have anything else, we can go ahead and, and shut this party down. Thank you everybody else. You, you did a great job today. This is awesome. Have a nice evening. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone.